Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, I put together a show really quick as I came in and off the desert, but we've been uh, talking two hours this morning on an earlier show that touched on some of these things that has to do with enmeshment, which usually has to do with the family and people within the family, such as the offices of a family. We use that word, offices of a family, a father, a son, a daughter, a mother, a wife, a husband. These are ways in which we designate certain elements of a family. You can call them offices if you want, and each of them have parameters uh, guidelines, boundaries within that. And if you begin, if one of the members of the family usurps another member's uh, boundaries, this can be traumatic. If you do it once in a while, it just actually makes the people in the family stronger. But if there's a certain almost uh, unhealthy Approach where you see parents living to their children, pressing their children to be a certain way, uh, where it stifles their natural development, then that would be considered abuse. And there's psychologists who talk about it, and they see children with problems, and they say, well, we can't fix the child unless we fix the parents. But sometimes you get the child long after the parents are done with them, and you're trying to figure out what it is. So... And we, we've talked about this from time to time, and eventually we'll do a program specifically on this. But we use this word enmeshment in relationship to people in congregations, home churches and traditional, uh, different types of traditional churches that you, what you have in a congregation of people in a church is that you have individual families coming together. And meeting at this church for some purpose or another. And we touched on that. Religion. Religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. Actually, just a few hundred years ago in America, religion was defined as the pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to your fellow man, according to God, was to love your neighbor as yourself. So, religion was actually the way in which you did that. Religion provided a daily ministration that, you know, if your neighbor had no coat, you provided him with a coat. If you had extra, you did it through charity. If you, you could do the same in meats. This was the, what churches were all about, is taking care of the needy. And yeah, they talk about Christ, or synagogues talk about Moses and Abraham. But these were people of the past. Uh, Abraham, Moses, Jesus Christ, who set people free from some sort of darkness or bondage or restriction of freedom and uh, gave them the keys to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people when the people are free people under God. We were never to go back to the bondage of Egypt. When we were in the bondage of Egypt, our 20% of our labor belonged to the government. 
and it got worse and worse, and the government got more t- tyrannical and dictatorial, and eventually uh, God heard our prayers, eventually, because he tells us that if we set up a government that can exercise authority one over the other, instead of us exercising responsibility to love our neighbor, we're going to say, okay, you take care of our neighbor, you may even ask the government to take care of your parents and do no more for your parents. Jesus talks about that. And you're going to have the government do it, but the government is only going to do it or be able to do it if they exercise authority one over the other. They're going to force the contributions of the people, just like, you know, the Pharaoh forced the contributions of the people, the the 20% that was owed him, and then he provided a social safety net for the people. And there are nations who do it that way, and there are nations who do it another way, which they do it through charity, that the people actually get together and take care of one another through charity. We used to do it that way in America, and then somebody got the idea of what they call legal charity. That's where the civil powers get the power to force the contributions of your neighbors so that they can provide you with these social safety nets or even other benefits. So anyway, we went through all that, two hours on it. We're only five minutes into the program, and we've kind of covered that. If you don't understand it, you'll just have to go listen to the other program or any of the other 600 audios we have and the hundreds of articles we have that explain how we do that or how the early church did that, how the church in America did it just not very long ago. And that was what you actually would call the kingdom of God at hand. And that's what we were supposed to seek is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And like I said, churches in America used to do that. Tocqueville writes about it. What made America great was America was good, and it was the churches that were providing this social safety net, the social welfare, 90% of all the education that was uh, organized education was done through churches. And uh, although a lot of people were home taught and families did it, but of course, a lot of the needy of society... Uh, within a family was taken care of within the family. Pure religion was taking care of the widows and orphans. That would be families that have broken down either the death or disease or COVID or something, and they were unable to take care of themselves. So the church helped do this, and the church could only do that if the people contributed to the church to give it the resources it needed to take care of the needy of society. If you don't do it that way, according to Peter, if you set up the covetous practices of of governments like Rome and many of the governments of Greece, where they force the contributions of the governments of the Pharisees that were forcing the contributions at the time of Christ and thereby making the word of God to none effect, Peter says you will become merchandise And eventually you will even curse your children. And of course the reason you curse your children is that if, if you're allowing the government to force your neighbor to contribute, uh, to some sort of central fund or treasury that's going to take care of the needy, eventually they're going to run out of funds, they're going to overspend because they don't have to make the sacrifice. So what's the money to them? 
that just taxed somebody else, forced a contribution like Saul did. And Samuel called them foolish. But they will start to borrow money, which is a violation of another commandment. And if you don't know, you haven't been listening to enough shows where you borrow the money against the future and since you're not going to be able to pay enough of the debt back before your kids are of age because the debt has now grown so much, you curse your children with that debt. So anyway, that's where we've gotten to today in societies and then we had COVID and now we have forced vaccinations and and we're getting uh, people to uh, that you got to go to um, quarantine camp. In Australia, they're doing that. They're rounding up people because they tested positive. They just had the sniffles. But they're not terribly sick, but they got to go to quarantine camp. They can't just hunker down at home. they got to go to quarantine camp. And anybody that they've come in contact with may have to go to quarantine camp, too. And we're getting stories of people being hauled off to quarantine camp. And you know, they say, well, it's just a camp, you know, and, and people can play basketball there. Well, you can play basketball in prison. You're still in prison. You know, prisons don't become basketball camp because you can play basketball in prison. You're in the prison. You can't leave the prison. There's wire and barbed wire around the prison. Yeah, you're in prison. So now you can be put into a prison camp. They call it, you know, they could call it vacation camp. <laughs> and uh, But they're doing that. It's kind of crazy. But they've justified it, and we we could talk a lot about that, but that's not what we're going to talk about. We're actually going to talk about a conversation I started having with some guys on the Internet who are home churchers. And I'm an advocate of home church uh, where you get, because the early church was organized into ten family congregations, and we know that because Christ commanded that his disciples make the people do it. We also know it because that's what the historical record shows. We also know that, even though you wouldn't know it because of the fact that if you look at the word deacon, they'll tell you, oh, it means minister. But it actually means minister of ten. And we have all kinds of, you know, dean and all these has to do with ministers of ten. And it was traditional in... Uh, Israel and traditional in Judaism and traditional in the early church, that congregation of synagogue was ten families. And so that's the way they organized. And then what did you do when they organized in that fashion? Well, they practiced pure religion. They took care of the needy of one another. And because it's not talking about congregationalism, but the kingdom of God, these congregations organizing in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands were also able to take care of people in Ephesus, take care of people in Antioch, take care of people in Corinth and Galatia. And we see Paul going around to a lot of these places and helping take care of the people. He's bringing supplies. He's bringing funds. He's actually taking collections up in some of the places that are not having a hard time and taking them to other places to help out people there. Now, there we know there was a social welfare safety net in the Roman Empire. It was the free bread and the circuses, but the free bread 
was everywhere. They would give away bread and cheese and wine and money and all these things to the poor to help out the needy of society. And it was provided through the temples of Rome. Christians would not go to those temples to apply for those benefits. They would do it themselves because those temples were provided for by forced offerings, the same as the temple at the time of Jesus Christ. Herod had set up a deal with the Pharisees to force the offerings of those people who signed up with the temple, either the temple in Judea, and Herod, like we said, also created the temple in Roma. Those of you who haven't been listening, you may not know what I'm talking about, but you'll just have to join the network and ask, and we'll steer you to the different articles that show you that's what they were doing. So anyway, on this uh, one group, they were asking a number of questions about, uh, you know, different quotes that they came up with, and one of the people that they asked about was a guy by the name of Ignatius of Antioch. He went by that name. He also goes by another name. Somebody who listened to the morning program heard me call the guy by another name, uh, Theophorus. Uh, and he actually goes by both names. And it's a little bit of his humor why he uses both names. And But we'll get into that at another time. But... Uh, I think this guy, and I was telling the individual who was talking to me on the phone, that, yeah, there. this guy had a sense of humor. He was considered a martyr, torn apart by wild beasts, and uh, imprisoned and, and hauled around in chains all over the Roman Empire. And uh, he was a writer, uh, and he wrote at least seven of the epistles or letters that he wrote. He wrote while the Roman soldiers were taking him to Rome. And I explained this morning that for some reason they took him by land routes and zigzagged all over the place before they got him to Rome. It would have been much cheaper, much quicker just to take him straight there. I don't, I really think that those soldiers were taking the long way around for a reason. I think the reason he was arrested and not prosecuted right there is he was arrested by some sort of subordinate because the governor was out of town. And I explained all that in the earlier show. But he wrote some things in these letters that just irritates the dickens out of modern churchgoers, or at least modern, even modern uh, home churchers. And they don't like what he wrote, and they think that he is some kind of apostate because he wrote these things. And uh, one of the things he wrote was posted on this group, and they asked, what do you think of this? And it's in part of his letter to the Magnesians, and uh, which was written around A.D. 100, 110 or so, which was this time. They're not sure exactly when, but they think it was in the time of Trajan because there's another codex that has emerged years later that is supposedly the account of his a conversation with Trajan when they brought him to be executed before the animals. And I have a problem with some of these things, but uh, this is the story as it goes, and so I can use it as a springboard to tell you more about how the kingdom works and how it doesn't work. But although 
we will always relate this to the teachings of Christ. Does this conform to Christ? Is this in harmony with Christ? And the problem is, is that the translators of the original Greek text was translating it into Latin and then translated it into English. They, because people don't know the meaning of words, and because they didn't translate every word, uh, people can have a confusion about what this martyr of the early church, and this is before Constantine, that just to give you a little background of uh, Ignatius is that it is believed that he was a disciple of John the Apostle. And so he understood the restrictions of Christ. And he's constantly saying that we have to look to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so he was familiar with those teachings First-hand lessons from John, the Apostle. So anyway, he writes in this uh, this letter, Take care to do all things in harmony. Now, he knows he's a condemned man, pretty much. He knows he's, he's in his 70s. He's as old as I am. That's pretty old. And uh, he's going to go up and confront these guys. And uh, he, he seems to know that he's headed for his death and and martyrdom but he's okay with that and there's some reason to believe that he's taking the long way around because while they're doing this to this bishop of bishops who because it was a large contingencies uh, a contingency of of faithful people following the way of Jesus Christ in Antioch as a matter of fact it was so large this is eventually where they started calling them Christians And they didn't want him there because too many people were leaving the pagan temples and no longer contributing to the pagan temples and were now contributing to the Christianity. Because they weren't going to the pagan temples for their free bread. They weren't going to the pagan temples for their welfare. They were going to their gatherings of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And they didn't need a big central treasury. They didn't need a lot of fancy buildings. They had this network. They were the living stones of their church, of their temple, of their social safety net. Now, there's a byproduct when you do it this way. Is that if there's a volcanic eruption, if there's a plague or a pandemic or... Uh, autocratic, authoritarian people come into play. You have a way of gathering together and dealing with whatever trauma or tragedy that is happening to the rest of society because you have this intimate fellowship of sacrifice and love going on on a daily basis. And to magnify that during time of tribulations and trials is not as big a thing. The other people who are completely dependent upon a central temple or a central government or a welfare system, when that breaks down, their neighbor's not going to be there for them. They're going to keep ringing up the Social Security office and wonder, where's my check? Or, I need a boost because now everything costs more. I need need my check to get bigger because uh, it's not keeping up with inflation. But uh, all they get is bureaucrats who don't really love you. So ultimately, I, I, I sent a post out 
to uh, some people on Facebook, Who Loves You, Baby, which is a quote from an old TV show. And that's ultimately is what you're going to have to figure out because God does love us. God loves us so much that he created us, created the world in which we live, and gave us choice. We talked about that this morning. We have to give choice to others, this right to choose to others, because that's the nature of God. And if we don't conform to the nature of God, then the Holy Spirit will not enter into us. We will not see what God sees, and our eyes will be darkened. So anyway, we know all that from the teachings of Jesus Christ. We know all that even from the teachings of Moses and Abraham. But for some reason, modern Christians think they can take the choice away from their neighbor to provide charity and uh, through faith, hope, and charity. And they can depend upon the civil government in what they call legal charity, which is a forced offering, which, of course, Christ condemned. But they don't see that. They're able to hold the idea that that's okay in their mind. That they can force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare, to the wants and desires that they want, the benefits that they want. And they can do that through civil government, through one half of their brain, their mind. And the other half, they can pretend to actually believe in Jesus Christ and his message. Or John the Baptist who did not use force. Everybody else was using force, but John the Baptist said, no, if you have two coats and your neighbor has no coat, then you share uh, your extra coat with your neighbor. You do it through charity. And he says, do the same in meats. This was the message of John the Baptist. This is how you seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Because it's not righteous To covet your neighbor's goods. It's not righteous to make agreements with other men and give them the power of your choice. You're not going to get to make the choice of how much am I going to contribute this week. You've given them that power and they're saying, well, yeah, you contributed that last week. This week we're going to have you contribute more. And taxes go up and up and up because you've turned government into your social safety net, your welfare safety net. That wasn't the way it was in America. Most of the schooling, all of the welfare, all of the aid to the needy of society was not through government. It was through the church and through uh, charitable organizations that people chose to start. Now people can't even imagine that such a thing is possible. But anyway, let's get back to... uh, uh, what this uh, crazy uh, guy, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, wrote that seemed to get everybody so upset. And, I mean, we could do shows on him for weeks because he had so much going on. But one of the things he says, take care to do all things in harmony with God. That should be okay. He says, with the bishop presiding in the place of God, Wait, the bishop residing in the place of God and with the presbyter in the place of the council of the apostles and with the deacons who are most dear to me entrusted with business of Jesus Christ who was with the Father from the beginning and is at last 
made manifest. How is he made manifest? He's made manifest in the deacons, presbyters, bishops, who gather together in the free assemblies of the church. Uh, the word place of gods. One of the things I wrote to the guy who was so upset at the place of God. How could it be in the place of God? And so I, you know, I, I explained to them that, uh, the, this idea of in the place of God, they thought this was creating some sort of hierarchy. And I, I wrote, I says, uh, you know, I asked them who, who wrote it because I didn't recognize it as Ignatius first. And I says, and do you have a Greek, uh, version of it so I could look at the Greek and translate it myself because I don't trust translators because translators are traitors uh, often. And anyway, so he, he wrote back that, that it was Ignatius and I was beginning to figure out that it was Ignatius by then. And uh, I was explaining uh, that there is nothing in there about a hierarchy. And I pointed out that a presbyter was simply the head of a family. It's not an office of the church. It's an office of the family. Uh, presbyter is the word we translate into elder. And the guys who were supposedly translating this did not want to translate it into elder. Because you might figure out what elder meant. An elder was the eldest member of a family. You see, because to them, this is the way it was at that time. We have all kinds of articles that explain this at Preparing You. An elder was the eldest head of the family. I am an elder. I'm an elder of the family of Williams. I have three sons. I have three daughters. My daughters are married to uh, other gentlemen. And uh, my sons are married to women and they have, all of them have, just about all of them have children now. Uh, we have one on the way. But uh, all of them have children. And uh, But I am the head of the family. I would be the elder. What church I joined, they would be a part of that church. But I would be the elder. Ten elders get together and gather you know, with nine other elders from nine other families. And that would include my sons, married or not, and my unmarried uh, daughters. And if my daughters married other sons of other men, they would be in that congregation. It would still be the same church, but they would be in that congregation. Because they're father-in-law would join a congregation. Now, it didn't have to be that way. Things shifted around. But that's basically the formula. So when you talk about ten elders, you could be talking 50 people, 60 people. Uh, because it's all those different, you know, I would be, a, before you were the eldest, that makes you likely to be the grandfather. And in my case, the great-grandfather. And so, there's a lot of us by now. <laughs> so, that's the way it was. Just so you understand, when they said a synagogue, that the eldest father was one of the ten of the synagogue. And this is the way it was with the early church. And he's saying, 
that the ten presbyters, the ten elders in a congregation is sitting in this place of the council of the apostles. Because the apostles are now dead at this point. This is 100 A.D. Most of them have passed away by this point or been martyred. The reality is, is they said, well, who do we have for apostles? So did they appoint new apostles? Well, in a way, they are, and they do it through the elders, not through a democratic election. But you pick a minister with nine other elders. That minister will get together with other ministers like himself, and they will pick a minister. And then that minister will get together. Who they pick is up to them. Of course, you'll know who they pick. And you can be kind of disgruntled about it if they pick a guy you don't like. Or somebody who gives bad counsel. So, in essence, now the power of the church is in the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not secularized just to priests and bishops. The elders of the families may bring the Holy Spirit in. We see that in the text of the New Testament. Where even the daughters of Agabus are bringing information from the Holy Spirit. Because they're seeing visions. And people look at that and they check with the Holy Spirit in their own heart. And they say, well, yeah, I think these girls are right on the money. Now, they're not following the girls. They're following the Holy Spirit. But... A woman can bring the Holy Spirit into the room. A man can bring the Holy Spirit in the room. A bishop could do it. A deacon could do it. And a presbyter, an elder of a family could do it. And over and over again, you'll see if we go through more of uh, this gentleman's writings, uh, that he is constantly talking about the, the Spirit in elders. Which is not an office of the church. It's not a hierarchy of the church. He's saying that the power still is with the individual. Because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Is putting the power of choice in the hand of the individuals. Which takes us to Romans 13. When they say, uh, let every man remain subject to the higher power. The word they use there for power is exousia which means the power of choice. It doesn't mean government, unless, of course, you give the government the power of choice for you. It means your power of choice. And since they refer to the higher power, they're talking about the original power. And that original power was the power that God gave you, which is why we talked about that this morning. One of the first things God did after he breathed life into you and I don't want you to draw too many pictures, you know, uh, of naked people getting the breath of life breathed into them, which is what you see in the artist's work when they read the text. But uh, basically, the first thing that God did, well, he saw it wasn't right that man be alone. So he had a man and a woman. Each of them had certain characteristics. Each of them held this office of husband and wife and eventually father and mother. And they were no more twain, but they were this like one flesh. And they were the source of the new families, new generations. But they were given a choice. Both of them had this choice. 
of eating of the tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit, or eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is you decide what is good and evil. You do not want to eat of that tree. You want to eat of the tree of the Holy Spirit. And if you, if you start going against that and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, deciding for yourself, judging for yourself, instead of discerning what God is telling you all the time, God is speaking to all of us all the time, and you don't want to listen to God, then you will have to close God off. You will have to close your eyes. You will have to hide like Adam and Eve hid in the garden once they saw they were eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They they realized they didn't have the authority to do that. They, they were naked. That's what being naked means, which we've gone over. Read our article on breaches. And so now they had to hide. And when they hid themselves, they went into darkness. They fled the light that was in the garden brought in by the the messenger of God, and they could, they would cut themselves off from the messages of God, and they were living in darkness. So, and when you live in darkness, your daughters are not going to see bad things coming, like with Agabus. <laughs> you're not going to be able to see it either, because you live in darkness, and you, you're, you're going to make bad judge of character, and you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble, and fall into a ditch, and if your leaders are living, yeah, you know, that was one of the things that the article that uh, in the news just before we began the morning program was talking about the fact that there were evangelical ministers who didn't even know what the Bible said. They went to seminaries and they didn't know what the Bible said. How many churches out there have a doctrine of the church? You go read your doctrine of the church. You tell me how many words are the words of Christ and how many words are the words of men? telling you what Christ meant and said. Now, I think it's fine to write about what you think Christ meant. But the doctrines of the church are the doctrines of Christ, not the opinions of men. And if they don't match up, and that's what we see Ignatius talking about in numerous quotes. We won't go into all those quotes. But uh, he's talking about that it has to be in harmony with God and therefore in harmony with Christ. And he talks about that, how Christ is was with the Father. Jesus was with the Father from the beginning. And now we have to learn how to be with the Father. So Jesus has given us choices. He appointed a kingdom to his little flock. And his little flock we're now going to make choices for the kingdom, for people. But they could not exercise authority over the people. So they're not making those kinds of choices. Because Christ forbid them to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority over the people. So anyway, so I explained there's nothing in here about a hierarchy. And then I said that it was important that you understand what an elder is. And it also important, I sent him a link to uh, our article on uh, the conflict, uh, Christian conflict with Rome. Why were the Christians getting into trouble? Why was this poor guy from Antioch in trouble with Rome? And why was he going probably to his doom to be torn apart by animals? 
And he makes jokes about it that he was on his journey with, uh, what was it, seven lepers, anyway, uh, referring to the soldiers that he's with. He evidently had a really good relationship with these soldiers because they were letting him meet with Christians along the way. They seemed to go out of their way so he can meet with uh, bishops and, and presbyters, which are elders again, and deacons from these churches, and they let him meet with them alone. And write letters. This subversive guy from Antioch is getting to do all this. I think they liked him. But anyway, so uh, there is no apostolic succession that he's talking about or papacy that is being created. Uh, somebody had written in response to what I wrote is that, uh, Gregory, you are blind to plain English in the place of God? In the place of the Council of the Apostles, uh, the apostolic succession papacy in your face, and you don't see it? No, I know that that's what the, that the original translators want you to think. But that isn't what they're saying. And so I write him back and I says, It was not written in plain English. You should not let the Roman church translate for you. It was written in plain Greek. What do you do with John ten thirty four, where Jesus answered them? It is not. Is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. See, you have to understand what this word God means. The word God. He's telling the apostles, ye also are gods. You're going to pass judgment. And that's what the word God, Theos, means. It means ruling judge. Now, you all have ruling judges out there. Supreme Court is one of your ruling judges. They all say Roe versus Wade says that everybody can kill babies as long as they're in the womb. And some people actually say that, oh, you can even kill the babies after they come out of the womb. If, you know, you just kill them by neglect, you know, after they're born, you set them aside and then decide what you're going to do. What is that? I mean, these are the gods that you have chosen for yourself. And the Bible talks about you choosing gods for yourself. Men who are going to decide for you what is good and what is evil. Remember, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is when you decided to decide for yourself what was good and evil. Now you've entered into civil governments and you've entered into them so that you can get benefits, usually benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You ask the government, will you take away from my neighbor so that I can have free education? Will you take away from my neighbor so that uh, you can take care of my parents so that I have to do no more ought for my parents. Will you take care of my neighbors so that I can have fire departments so that I can we have a fire department out here. It's not on the taxes. It's a volunteer fire department. And it's one of the biggest in the states. <laughs> and we're one of the poorest counties in the state. And they put out I know one summer, they put out 28 fires before they're halfway done with the summer. <laughs> so, so you can have a fire department without threatening to take your neighbor's house away from him if he doesn't pay in to what you want as a benefit. So anyway, I was pointing out to him that we are supposed to judge 
certain things. We're supposed to use the Holy Spirit to know what that judgment should be and not decide for ourselves. But what we've done is we have given people the power to decide for us what is good and what is evil. And there's a whole long way process that has brought us to that point. But anyway, he didn't like that comment. And he says, again, you can't understand English. Again, it wasn't written in English. The mem quote was written in plain English. It wasn't a mem quote. (laughs) It was a translation of a first century minister who studied under John as a disciple of John. You might be misunderstanding the translation. And of course he is. I know who this guy is and he has done this regularly. Someone qualified to translate it did so. Qualified? How do you know? Do you know what the qualifications were? Well, the qualifications was is that he was a Roman Catholic. <laughs> so, and, and I know because I used to be a Roman Catholic, but I always refer to myself as I'm a Catholic that went a Roman. I went to find out what Christ actually said. When I was in the seminary, I kept asking the priests, you know, what about this? What about that? And now I'm here out in the desert and trying to tell you, but some people just don't want to learn. They don't want to listen. They don't want to look. I mean, it's not a secret that presbyter means elder, and elder wasn't an office of the church, and there's nothing in the Bible that should allow you to think that elder is an office of the church. It's not. And even the office of deacon is not a position of power and authority. Even the office of bishop is not a position of power and authority over people. A deacon does have power and authority over what you freely give him. He gets to decide what to do with what you give him. If you don't like what he does with it, don't give to him anymore. That's a free government of the people, for the people, and by the people. It's not a free government if you elect somebody and then he has the power to take more and more and more and more (laughs) and lock you down and force vaccinations on you. If, If you have elected a government that can force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, then you have elected a government that your neighbor can have you forced to do what your neighbor wants. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. That's where you're at. You do not live in a free country. Australia, you haven't been free for a long time. And that's the same for the United States. The same for, you don't have to go to China to find people that are in bondage. You don't have to go to Egypt. You can just go right next door. You can go into your bathroom and look into the mirror. If they can force your labor, payments from your labor, if they have a right to do it, and I'm not saying they don't have a right to do it. I explain in the book Covenants of the Gods, which is free online, why they do have a right to do it. I'm just saying you're in bondage. Once you admit that, now you can repent and start thinking differently. And if you start following the plan of Christ, Christ can bring you freedom. You can't free yourself. Not with imaginary philosophies and theologies and eschatologies. But anyway, we got to clip along here. So I write on back, there is a traditional church 
Well, and see, he he thinks the guys who did that translation, uh, that was done by a traditional church that believes in a hierarchy. That and when I say hierarchy, I mean a hierarchy that can exercise authority one over the other. Uh, there is a hierarchies in the world, but they don't necessarily act uh, exercise authority. Some hierarchies are based on skill. Based on, I mean, there's a hierarchy in the church, and Jesus tells you what it is. But it's not, it's not exercising authority. It's not that kind, and that's the kind most people object to. The highest amongst you, Jesus says, is the one who makes himself the greatest servant to others. That's how you know who is highest, is, and that's who earns the respect of the one who is the greatest servant. That's how you know. But if, if you just say the word hierarchy, these people are triggered. Oh, my gosh, hierarchy. He's going to rule over me. Meanwhile, we got people in the same group saying that the fact that civil governments are now our safety net that are providing us with welfare shows that we have taught the civil government the ways of Christ. The ways of Christ said not to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, not to force the offerings of the people. That's not the way of Christ. What you've done is gone the way of Rome, because Rome was doing that. You've gone the way of the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were doing that. But anyway, I write them back that the traditional church that perverted the gospel, the true church has a tradition too. Ignatius wrote in Greek, and the ones you say who are qualified to translate are the apostate church who wants you to think that the church is top-down. They first translated into Latin and then into English. They have also changed some of the words to fudge their definitions. The fact is, the apostate church didn't really come along until Constantine started setting up his own church, and he told the people to all go out in Milan to get baptized. He didn't tell them to repent and get baptized, he just said, go get baptized. And we explain all that in the article on Constantine and the recordings we have on Constantine. And we show you that most of the church did not go to the Council of Nicaea. Thousands of bishops were commanded to show up. 319 guys showed up. They probably weren't all bishops. Because uh, we see very clearly that bishops would often go with uh, a couple of deacons or presbyters. So, amongst those 319 that showed up, they weren't probably all bishops. And that's a fraction, fraction of the bishops. They just didn't come. They weren't answerable to Constantine. And they didn't come. And the very next meeting they had, when they called that, only 150 showed up. So, no, those are not councils of the church. When the apostles died, the apostles died. They did not appoint successors. The way you get successors to the apostles is through the Holy Spirit. And the way you know that the Holy Spirit wants this person to be of counsel is the elders of the individual families use the Holy Spirit to help them decide who should I contribute to. Because he's going to pick this minister or he's going to pick that minister. Now, the contributions... Don't always support the minister. Paul didn't depend upon contributions for his support. They made tents. Uh, we don't depend on 
contributions for our support either. We take care of one another uh, here at His Holy Church in Summer Lake, and we hope everybody else does. But in order to create this social welfare net for thousands of people all over the world that actually want to go the way of Christ, yeah, it's going to need your donations. But you don't send them all to me. You send them through a network of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And I briefly talked about it this morning. Why the fifties? And and I, I talked to some of the ministers. They think that there may be more to it than this. But I think one of the primary things is if you had ten families, which are probably somewhat spread out, and that that forms a congregation, and now you're going to get nine more congregations of ten families to gather together. Now we're talking a hundred families. That's maybe over a thousand people easily. Over a thousand people, and they're going to be spread out because you know uh, a medium-sized town could be easily several hundred people in those days. So, how do we communicate? They didn't get on their cell phones. They didn't dial up with AT&T. They didn't send each other email. So, five congregations of ten families, which would be 50, they pick a minister to connect them with the minister of a hundred. And the other five, they pick a minister too. So that guy is, it's not a full-time job. He's not there trying to tell you how to interpret the Bible and all this. You're supposed to be figuring that out yourselves with the help of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. See, everybody is goes out and picks a minister who makes him feel good. I have had so many people tell me, well, I go to that church because I really like the music. Or I go to that church because I really like the sermons. You're going to church for the comfort you get. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be your comforter. The early Christians didn't go to church for the good feeling they were going to get. It was about survival. It was about being of service to others. It's about knowing the truth. It's about seeing the light. And in order to make the distinction between them and all the other groups and synagogues or churches or whatever you want to call They did not look to the men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. They weren't that way because Christ said it was not to be that way with you. He said it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, but what this also happens is that when you have dearths in the land, when you have famines, when you have economic breakdown, when you have pandemics, when you have totalitarianism, tyranny, these people were able to come together and help one another out. In early Israel, occasionally it was Malachites and Amalek's attacking them, and suddenly they had an army. You know, uh, they were already organized. They didn't have to say, oh, well, you be on my team. You be... They already had their team. Their team... And the bonds of the team were established because they were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. People don't do that anymore. We used to do that in America. And, you know, they could have a guy ride through town and say the British are coming and all kinds of guys show up the next day. 
because they were already networked together. They were using the tens, hundreds, and thousands back then. They had tithe men, elder men, hundreds men. And that's that's how they organized themselves. England, like I said, did that. But the more they became reliant on central government, the more they lost the skill of being a government of liberty. And so what I was going to say is that, uh, let's see, we we won't have time to go into Trajan and his speech uh, and conversation. But basically, he's telling us that everything we do has to be in harmony with God. And he he says, uh, now, therefore, it has been my privilege to see you in person of your God-inspired bishops. Well, that's that's when he says, presiding in the place of God. Now, we, I did get a hold of the Greek, but I haven't had time to go through it. What does he mean in the place of God? Uh, what does he mean by council of the apostles? Uh, the deacons, again, are ministers of ten presbyters, which are ten elders. And uh, he's making it very clear that these, the power of the congregations of whatever you want to call the Christian church is still in the hands, the right to choose, the exousia, is still in the hands of the elders of each family. They choose what deacon... They're going to tithe to. And that deacon is in charge of the the practice of pure religion. Not the covetous practices of the world, which is what most churches are dependent upon now. They don't take care of the social welfare in their church. They go to the men who exercise authority to take care of the social welfare. But if you want to be a real Christian, you have to have a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity. And that means you have to come together in these networks these free assemblies and and help one another. And when you do that, your eyes will be open. You won't be sitting in darkness anymore. You will be able to practice pure religion. And the Holy Spirit will lighten your way. It will also lighten your burden. Miraculously at times. And... Uh, you know, anyway, we're not going to go through all of it because we don't have time, but somebody had written a quote where people are talking about this tyranny in Australia. And they're saying, America, wake up. You know, thank heaven we have a Second Amendment. We're a free nation and all this kind of stuff. No. No. Second Amendment is not going to save you. It's going to get you into more trouble than ever. Now, I'm all for you owning a gun. I think you have a right to defend yourself. Even Jesus said, if you don't have a sword, go get it. But if you think you're going to throw off this tyranny, no, you can't. You will not have the power to throw off the tyranny that you see coming. Unless you remove the tyranny from your own heart. You haven't lit. This is why it's so important and why I talked about it first. You have to realize you do not. Australia is not a free country. Australian citizens are not free men. Americans are not free men. You have gone back into the bondage of Egypt. You have become merchandise because you have spent the last 50 years to 100 years coveting your neighbor's goods. Your parents did it. Your grandparents did it. You thought that it was okay to get all the benefits I want by simply 
electing men who take from my neighbor. I mean, if I don't pay into the local school, they will take the house I live in away from me. Or they would have taken the house that I lived in away from me. I've given it away now, so I don't even own it. But uh, the reality is that's that's your creation. That's what you've been doing for the last 50 to 70 years. In 1910, most people were not educated in public school, and most of the funds used to provide public schools did not come through taxation. That was that was 1910. That was just a little over 100 years ago. Now it's just completely the reverse. You don't take care of your parents. The government does. You don't take care of your Medicare or your Medicaid. The government does. You've been going down the wrong way for a long time. You may think you have a Second Amendment right, but you're going to find yourself like the Jacobites out there and way out ahead of the Lord and the God's not going to be with you. He's not going to hear your cries. You need to repent. You need to get organized. You need to alter the way you've been thinking and start thinking about the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But anyway, that's the system that you have created for yourself and now you need to repent of that and go the other way. I'm just going to have to say peace on your house and may God be with you because we're out of time. Join us on the network and we'll make this even clearer than we did this time. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.